Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't yet joined our wonderful Flywheel Nation community, go to flywheelnation.com and join in the podcast conversations. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. If you feel that you do not fit into the nine to five working world, there are other ways to make a really healthy living. You just need to find the answers. You just need to find the resources and you need to find the right community. So if you're on that journey of trying to work for yourself and it's difficult and it's not what you expected it to be, and there are days when you're like, maybe I should just go back to a job, but then you cry on the bathroom floor and think I'd rather die than go back to a job, then that's normal. <laughs> it's normal. You know, I just want to normalize that and say that you don't have to go back. There are ways to build healthy businesses based around the type of person, the type of worker that you are, and the resources are out there, the people are out there to support you. Don't give up. <music> Welcome back. I hope you've had an awesome week so far. If you haven't heard my recent conversations with creativity author, trainer and provocateur Paula LaRocca and with Chief Executive Officer and Chairman of the Board at Predictive Oncology, Mel Engel, then go check them out, but only after you've listened to today's conversation. I'm really excited today to have on the InnovaBuzz podcast as my guest, Heather Thorkelsen. She's a Canadian dual business owner based in rural Sweden. She spent the majority of her life living abroad since her family moved to Costa Rica when she was just 14, which contributed to a wanderlust that lasts to this day. After working in corporate throughout her 20s, Heather took the leap into entrepreneurship. She's been a business consultant for incurable entrepreneurs since 2011, helping hundreds of small business owners grow livelihoods that honour their strengths and feed their bank accounts in equal measure. She's the owner of Twin Tracks Expeditions, a polar expedition company, where she also is a polar guide who has been to the Antarctic over 30 times. On top of that, she co-owns a polar ship management company. She's excited to share her expertise and experience to support a new wave of values-based entrepreneurs with her first book, No Plan B, a handbook for incurable entrepreneurs and other rebellious souls. In our conversation today, Heather talked to me about why working on yourself first gives you clarity and purpose. We talked about treating ideas to try as a scientific project. And we talked about entrepreneurship as a vehicle for change. 
Without further ado, then let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Heather Thorkelson. Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast today, all the way from Harksham in Uppsala County in Sweden, Heather Thorkelsen, who's a coach, a writer, a polar expedition company owner, and a guide. Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, Heather. It's a great privilege to have you as my guest. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm excited to speak with you. Now, I think you're the first guest I've had that's based in Sweden, so we did kind of touch on that before we started recording. Audrey Holst, who was our guest on episode 473 of the Innova Buzz podcast, introduced us and suggested that we have a conversation. So a big hello to Audrey. Yeah. Hey, Audrey. Audrey's amazing. She's such a good connection to have. <laughs> yeah. And I was listening to a podcast she did with somebody else that I, I just connected with on LinkedIn. I, I who has a podcast, and I saw he had Audrey as a guest recently, so I was listening to that this afternoon, so kind of serendipitous. Nice. <laughs> now, you're also author of the book No Plan B, which is subtitled A Handbook for Incurable Entrepreneurs and Other Rebellious Souls, so I'm really excited to look into that philosophy that you have there, also your coaching business, and of course, you've got those other businesses that at first glance might seem not connected, but I think there's a story behind all of it that, that kind of comes into the book as well. Now, before we start talking about all those things, what what impact are you making in the world, Heather? That's a really good question. I think that business is really sort of entrepreneurship is the most powerful vehicle for change that we can have as individuals. And so I would say that maybe the impact that I'm having on the world is just my ability to impact my immediate ecosystem, you know, like who I can help with my business, who I can hire, where I can spend the revenue that I generate with my business. There's sort of a ripple effect that I'm very sort of cognizant of as I move through the world, like how, how, how that ripple effect is going out over the ecosystem that I exist in. So I don't know exactly what that effect is, but I just know that everything that I do with my businesses is very intentional and with with the intention of keeping everything very human-centered over transaction-centered, which is really important to me. Mm, yeah, I love that. And that's, that's very aligned with how we run our business. Um, we have the philosophy of making marketing and podcasting human again. And uh, even though I'm a lover of technology, I think the the risk with technology is that people kind of abdicate and let the technology do all the things. And uh, I've had a couple of um, things that I needed to address recently that are administrative in nature in terms of um, changing accounts and so on. And uh, I'm always frustrated. I was on the phone this morning and you know, there's the automated responder saying, press one if you want this, press two if you want that, press three if you want this. and press five for everything else and I'm thinking what about the option to talk to somebody and <laughs> yeah. talk to a human <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> hmm. all right now you mentioned entrepreneurship as a vehicle for change and and one of the things that struck me about your book and I'm about halfway through it so I haven't got on to the what you need to do part but I have 
gone through the first one. I'll come back to how you start the book in a moment. But one of the things that struck me is you do say there at some point that entrepreneurship is certainly one of the best personal development tools that's around. And um, so tell us a little bit about your journey and how how your um, entrepreneurship endeavors have kind of shaped your personal journey and and contributed to your growth and and education yeah um so my entrepreneurial journey i think is very similar to a lot of people who didn't necessarily they didn't plan on being an entrepreneur in the traditional sense i mean i'm in my early 40s now so when i was a kid the kind of things that we thought of or we, we were taught our entrepreneurs are these high risk taking, like, you know, throw a lot of money at something, put a lot of investment capital in the beginning and start a company, you know. But then suddenly in my 20, my late 20s, the internet became an option for working for oneself, right? So I kind of like halfway through my, my existence had this complete shift in mentality about what was possible for me as a person who works <laughs> to support oneself, you know, like I was like, okay, I don't actually have to have a job. I don't have to have someone else pick me, you know, to, to, to exist within an organization. I don't have to take these high risks with lots of money and, and have this very sort of what I felt always growing up was a very masculine approach to entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. um, it became very different in the late 2000s. And so at that point, I had been really suffering in the corporate world in a variety of different roles in a variety of different countries. So it's not like I didn't try a lot of different things. <laughs> um, I had been, you know, living all over the world, working in so many different capacities and just none of it worked for me. And so when I realized that there was this possibility of making a living online, I thought that's what I need to do. And not because I was dying to make a living online, but because I desperately needed the agency to decide how I worked, when I worked, um, who I worked with. It. Some people call it freedom, but I like to think of it as agency. I like, it is critical to my mental health to be able to make those decisions on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis. So I started out in 2010. I left the corporate world. I was working for a big pharmaceutical company, which was really not aligned with the type of person that I am at all. Um, and I didn't know what I was going to do. So my entrepreneurial journey was really like, okay, just start one thing and see how that goes. Get some skills and then start another thing and see how that goes. And this is very much what I've seen happen with so many of the people that I've worked with over the years, that I've been in community with over the years. They just start somewhere because you have to do something, right? That's why we have so many life coaches, which is how I started out. We have so many life coaches. We have so many business coaches. We have so many web designers, people who didn't expect that that's what they would be doing. But they're like, well, I have this skill set and I can monetize it. So I'm going to go with it. And some people get stuck in the first thing they started. And then there's people like me who sort of reinvented as I went along. And in the first five years, I just continually reinvented myself until I landed in the place where I was like, oh, this is the golden goose. Mm -hmm. This is the thing that I should be doing. And this feels really right. And I'm really, really good at it, you know? And so when I talk about entrepreneurship as this sort of personal development, like throw yourself in the fire and figure out who you are, 
it's because that is hard. You know, you're going to try, you're going to fail, you're going to be exposed in public. I mean, anyone who's launched a website for the first time knows that it's like the scariest thing in the world. And then you realize that nobody paid any attention except your mom. <laughs> come back and said, there's five broken links and there's a spelling mistake on your about page. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you, there's no safety net, right? Like you're just, you are just exposed. And then you have to, depending on what it is that you do, you have to put offers out there or products and you have to risk failure on a regular basis. Most people are terrible at that. They just want to avoid it as much as possible. So that whole experience of becoming an entrepreneur, becoming a self-employed person, becoming someone who puts yourself at quote unquote risk or exposes yourself, which sound really scary, it really shows you who you are. It shows you what you're made of and it helps you up level in a way that very few other things that I know can offer. Hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating. I, I, I had a long corporate career and in some ways I remember uh, my early job. I mean, my very first job, I was on the one hand, I thought I was in heaven because I was working for a film manufacturer in their research division on some very challenging chemistry. So my uh, education is in chemistry. So it was absolutely fascinating chemistry, intellectually really fascinating stuff. It was things I was bringing together whole range of expertise that I had that very few people had in combination. And so I was sort of uniquely skilled for this job. And of course, I was a, a hobby photographer, been a hobby photographer since kind of two, two years old or so. And I can't even remember not taking photographs. So this was the dream job. But then it was, I sort of at some point, I realized this was sort of a very rigid environment. And when the first digital cameras came onto the consumer market of course the whole um, business model was disrupted and I experienced how inflexible the management of the company were to adapt to that and that's when I really felt trapped because I thought you know this is not going anywhere if they're not going to change um, you know, the idea of making better film whilst that probably would work for the next five years. It wasn't going to work for the next 20 years. And um, I could see, you know, even if digital photography would fall over, I didn't believe it would, but even if it did fall over, there'd be something else and the response would be pretty much the same. And so at that point, I started to feel locked in. And mm. um, But I saw the writing on the wall change, went to another uh, corporate job, and I had a 23-year career where I actually had roles that involved international travel that involved setting my own agendas to some extent setting my own timetables to some extent and so there was a fair bit of agency there and it wasn't until like 23 years into that role that um, I was I started to have that feeling again of being trapped because and part of that was things had changed and there was a values conflict I recognize that now in hindsight but one of the things that struck me, and I'm curious to hear your experience of this, when I then went out on my own was all of a sudden I need to do everything now. Like before <laughs> I had I had an IT department, if, like I'd built websites, but I'd led a project and I had experts in specific areas. I had human resources experts when, when it came to hiring people. I had... Um, uh, account. I had a finance department that dealt with accounting things and so on. Um, how did you 
kind of make that transition where all of a sudden you had to now do all these different bits and pieces? Well, I mean, I've always been the kind of person that I'm like a jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I can do a lot of things. I learn quickly. I like technology. I mean, I'm certainly not like the younger kids these days who learn so quickly, but I can figure it out pretty easily, you know? And so when I started working for myself, I just didn't have any money to do things like hire out the building of a website, you know, as, as an example. So part of what I did, which I actually then monetized was I learned how to build websites. I learned the basic code. And I mean, back in 2011, you didn't have these drag and drop websites. You had to actually do some code. <laughs> so I spent some time learning the basics of, of how to build websites so that I could build my own website. And then because I wasn't making much money with my, fledgling life coaching business, I started building websites for other entrepreneurs who knew entrepreneurs who didn't really have much money. So I'd build really cheap websites with a sort of low um, promise. You know, I was like, look, this isn't going to be fancy, but if you need something that's basic and looks nice and functions well, I can do it for a really reasonable price. And that helped get that. I mean, that was part of my entrepreneurial career, right, is mm. learning new skills that I needed to run my own business. And then actually having people pay me to do it for them so that I could build up that revenue, build up that capital, build up my network of people who knew, like, and trusted me, um, and then keep going. So I did a lot of stuff on my own. It was, it's very hard, as anyone who's been through it knows. And then the minute I could start hiring things out, I did. And that's actually something that quite separated me from the people I was in community with at the time. I was one of the first people at my stage like one two years in, I think it was only a year and a half in to working for myself one of the first people who I knew that was already hiring a virtual assistant and everyone else was like what like how can you afford such an expense and I was like no 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 I can't afford not to you know like I need someone else needs to do the grunt work so that I can focus on my genius work and I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of those people that I was in community with back in the day are no longer working for themselves they're, you know, back working in a job or something. And I just, I, I really made some key decisions early on to help not do everything because it's not sustainable. It's really not. Yeah. yeah. And how did you make the decision at that point, what it was that you would outsource and what it was that was your core expertise that, that, that only you could do that, that was really where you needed to be spending your time? I outsourced everything I resented. It was really simple. Everything I was, I was like logging into the back end of WordPress and uploading stuff, uploading stuff into MailChimp. Like I'm, every time I would open up those softwares, I'd be like, ugh. Like just, I felt so resentful because there were other things that I wanted to be doing with that time. And it was actually really quite reasonable to outsource it, you know, from a cost perspective and a time perspective once I had someone trained up. And then ev literally everything else from then on, still to this day, if I'm doing something, because my default is, oh, if I can do it, I'll just do it. You know, it's easy mm. for me to do it. I can get it done faster than, like, you know, putting it in Slack for my assistant to do it. Um, but the minute I start to feel that that thing, I'm like, nope, send it to my VA or one of my VAs because I have a couple of different people that I work with now. And that just mm. makes things so much easier and it makes me enjoy my business a lot more or my businesses because I've got more than one now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll touch on that in a moment too. Um, one of the things, one of, yeah, I guess it was a mentor said to me once and it kind of stuck with me. And I think of that 
particularly if I'm like you thinking, oh, I don't really enjoy doing this, um, is the question, how can I do this once so that I never have to do it again? Yeah. And one of the techniques, if it's something that needs to be done, is I will do a screen recording or a video of me doing whatever the task is. I'll say, here's, here's how I do And I did one this week where I didn't know what I was doing. I said, well, here's the outcome I want. This is I'm going to do it here the way I think the outcome will be achieved. But I want you, and I was addressing my uh, personal assistant, I said, I want you to figure out if there's a better way to do it and you just write the process once you're happy with a good way to do it. But here's what I want it to look like. Here's the outcome I want. Here's what I did or here's how I'm going to do it and recorded myself. And I said, that's it. I'm never going to do that again. (laughs) But that work will still happen regularly now. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. And that's something that's the way that I also work with my assistants. We do a lot of screen screen shares, um, little tutorials, and also templatizing everything, whether it's graphics or it's like standard operating procedures or whatever. Like everything is, you know, as soon as we realize it needs to be outsourced, it becomes something that's written down and replicable or shared. And I think, you know, one of the key things when you, this is kind of going a little to the side, but I'm really passionate about hiring and it is really hard to find people who are really awesome. So if you can find someone who who you can walk through that process as you just described where you're like I don't know what's the best way to get this done but here's how I want it to look in the end here's the outcome I want please you go ahead and take the initiative to figure out how to make that Mm. happen if you can find people that have that initiative and that can get the outcome that you want they are gold keep them (laughs) pay them well (laughs) (laughs) you know like that that that's that will make your business so much stronger and you so much more calm and happy, you know, hmm. and focused on yeah, your genius yeah. work. Here, here for that, yeah. And you mentioned the word agency before. I think, you know, as entrepreneurs, we say, well, we're, we're concerned about our own agency over our time and our um, our choices, what we get to do. But it's probably a responsibility that we make sure we kind of set up the the environment working for us that it's not a corporate nine to five job and it it does give some agency to the people working for us in terms of their contribution yeah absolutely i think it's critical Hmm. all right so one of the things that i'm I'm really interested in um, like you to expand on a little bit in in the book you start off contrasting the old world and the all the things that bothered you about the corporate world and the restrictive nature and you kind of allude to the matrix. Uh, and then you go on to say, okay, here, here's the here's the op- alternative option working for yourself entrepreneurship. But you start off with kind of painting a really miserable picture about it, <laughs> with all the things that, that could go wrong, all the challenges that you're going to face to start off with. So you kind of, you know, for somebody new coming into this and reading this, I'm thinking, okay, they're going to be turned off straight away. But I think it's a really great approach because um, you're setting people up that they don't go in there with rose-colored glasses. So talk to us a little bit more about how you kind of set that out and also about the some of the mindset things that you talk about in, in that um, middle section that people need to be really um, working on before they work on a lot of other things. 
Yeah. So, you know, that was a very intentional thing, obviously, with the way that we structured the book. The first third is meant to scare the pants off of people <laughs> because uh, what I've seen over, you know, it's been over a decade that I've been a business coach and, and self-employed. And the majority of people who are trying to do some variation of that or, or become an entrepreneur, become an online entrepreneur, the majority, I would say, and I, I don't think that's an exaggeration, are not the right people for this type of work. And what I've always found so bothersome is that it's been this sort of, you know, I don't know how to describe it, but there's this sort of cultural narrative around working online that's peddled by all kinds of big names, you know, like the four hour work week and like live on the beach and, you know, just like the internet will become your ATM and all this kind of stuff. And so people have a very skewed perception of what it takes to actually make a reasonable living online, not just making like millions, but covering your bills, replacing your income mm -hmm. from before, you know, they have a very unrealistic expectation and it's not their fault. It's the fault of all the online gurus making it sound like it is so easy. And if you just follow their formula, then you'll be just like them and blah, 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 and whatever. And I'm just so over it. And so I thought, what, what would be actually helpful for people? It would be really helpful if I spend the first third of my book <laughs> saying, Here's the reality that you can expect based on almost a decade of experience of working with people just like you and being someone just like you, being someone who's walked through that fire. Here's the reality of it. It is not for everybody. It is hard. It will test you. It is not for people who expect X, Y, Z, you know, this kind of thing. Um, because it's an opportunity for people to self-select out or in. If they start reading my book and they're like, oh, she's so negative, horrible. Oof, this isn't, I want the, I want the rainbows and puppies version. Like, yeah, yeah. I want to go and, you know, I want to drink the Kool-Aid. Cool, go for it. But this isn't the book for you. I'm not going to teach you things you want to learn because you want a formula. You want something that's easy and that's not this. And for anyone who gets through the first third, they're like, oh, this is so refreshingly honest because this mirrors what my experience so far has felt like. Mm. And now what? And now you're gonna, you've, you've been honest about it. And, and, and now what do I do? Now where are you gonna take me, you know? And that's when I go into the whole, you know, section about the things that you need to think about, such as your relationship to risk, your relationship to uncertainty, your approach to work, your, I mean, are you neurotypical or neurodivergent? Are there, like, what are the different obstacles that are unique to you and strengths? What are your own assets and constraints, you know, that are unique to you as a human being that you've never had to think about before because you've just been told what to do in your job? Nobody's telling you what to do now. There's no structure. There's no accountability when you're working for yourself unless you very purposely bring that in in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. So you need to get so self-aware in a relatively short period of time. And I, when I say short period of time, I mean a couple of years. You know, a lot of people, the self-awareness comes over years and years and years of yeah. being alive. But working for yourself when you've never done it before, that years and years and years of getting in tune with yourself is suddenly going to happen in 18 months because you don't have a choice. So I thought that was a really important thing to to immediately start to illustrate of like, here are a bunch of key elements 
that you need to understand about yourself, that you need to understand about your relationship to things that you will come up against in your entrepreneurial journey and and rethink and level up and learn and get over and lean into, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, we could go into some of the specifics, but the, the really big ones that I think that people struggle with the most are relationship to risk, relationship to uncertainty and relationship to failure. Hmm. Yeah, there's, I mean, that, that's certainly, I, I could say that they were the things that certainly challenged me most. I mean, risk, I never had to think about risk before and now all of a sudden this could all go pear-shaped and I could have no money left or that was the big one obviously and then that that was always scary because that's that's sort of existence threatening in some ways yeah um, but then the the idea of you know I've done my best I've delivered what the client asked for and yet they're still telling me they're unhappy okay I can't turn to anyone for help. I've got to figure this out myself. So yeah. there's kind of that, that's an element of failure. But then, of course, trying certain things out and, and getting to the point where saying, well, okay, that, that didn't work. What do I learn from that? As opposed to that didn't work. Oh, I'm really sad and I'm disappointed or I'm unhappy about that. And, and, um, yeah, beating yourself up because you failed letting that internal voice or that little internal i don't know the the, the bad jiminy cricket on one shoulder saying yeah um, you know you're a bad person because you failed so, well and that's that's exactly the thing a lot of people see failure or something not working out as planned in your business as a as a personal failure like i mm. failed i suck i I'm no good. I can't do this. When in fact, it was just the thing. It was the process. It was the product. It was the service that for whatever reason didn't land, didn't sell, didn't satisfy the customer. Right. And so that's a big piece there is separating the non viability of the thing that's separate from you from you. Right. Mm. You are not a failure. You are an experimenter. And this is what I talk about in the book. We have to treat mm what we're doing in business as like little science projects, little science experiments. We put it out there. We don't know if it'll work. We're going to set it up for success to the best that we know how based on the information we have right now and the knowledge we have. If it doesn't work or if it only works kind of like 50% the way that we thought or it doesn't sell or it only sells to one person when we thought it would sell to 10, okay, now's your opportunity. What, what worked? What didn't work? What, where are we missing the point? You know, and And that sort of, I guess you could call it like an autopsy <laughs> after the fact, going yeah. back and, and looking at it and being curious and being um, inquisitive and, and thinking, okay, well, what, what does this need to be successful? You know, and maybe even talking to some of the end users and say, well, what, what would have made this different for you? What would have made mm -hmm. it better? What would have, what, what's missing? What is there too much of? And then rebuild it, relaunch it, re whatever, you know, like there's, to me, that's a very exciting thing, but it's a mindset shift. It's going from, oh, my launch flopped, I suck, to, oh, my launch flopped, okay, we, now the real work begins. Now we got to figure mm. out why it flopped, and then we're going to relaunch it in a couple of months, and we're going we're gonna to nail it. Yeah, yeah, and I love the, love the scientific experiment analogy. I mean, as I said, I'm a scientist, and, and this dawned on me, and you know, it took several years of 
fooling around and I was in this state of, oh, that didn't work. I'm obviously no good at this or I'm no good at other things. And somebody said this to me, said, well, don't treat, it's not failure. It's just an experiment that didn't turn out the way you, the way you thought it would. And mm -hmm. so what do you learn from that? I thought, well, it's like a science project. <laughs> yep. And if I think back to, to high school when we did a science project, it was like you started off, you know, there, here's the aim, here's the objective of this project. Here's the um, resources that we need or the equipment that we need, usually it was. Here's the methodology. So, you know, step one, step two, step three, etc. Here are the results. Report the results. This is the conclusion. And so I thought, well, if you take that approach to like a new project, then the conclusion is we achieved the outcome that we, we were expecting or we didn't achieve the outcome we're expecting and then of course the next question in both cases actually is is what did we learn from this and particularly if it, we didn't achieve the outcome how can we do something different that that might get to that outcome and that might be a completely different experiment or it might be just tweak the experiment that we're running exactly exactly yeah <laughs> all right now we have touched on some of the other businesses so your main business has been coaching and you have kind of strayed into the area of um, tourism, Arctic tourism <laughs> or polar tourism. And that's led on to actually uh, running uh, a ship, uh, yeah. a transport company in some ways. So tell us how, how those things are connected, how that came about. Yeah, yeah. So, and this is... If for anyone who's you know heard the title of my book, as you mentioned earlier, and, and heard the term incurable entrepreneur, and they're kind of like, what? Scr scratching their heads. What does that mean? <laughs> uh, I think I'm probably a living example of that in the sense that I, I love building businesses. I love helping people build businesses. I love seeing opportunities and going in that direction. And so what happened was, I had been running my business for a couple of years. I guess it was almost two and a half years at that point. I had started when I lived in Toronto, but then I moved to Peru. So I was living in Peru and I was kind of at that like two year burnout stage, which a lot of people listening who are on the journey will understand. And I wasn't burnt out, but I was feeling that feeling of like, oh, it's so hard and it's such a slog mm. and I'm still not making the money that I want to. And I'm tired of sitting alone in front of my laptop every day, you know, just trying to make things work. Um, even though I had a pretty good support system and whatever, I, I really just kind of desperately needed a break. And that came in the form of a friend of mine, an acquaintance actually, calling me up out of the blue, someone I had met on a trip down the Amazon in 2005, because I've always been a really avid traveler. So I was a passenger on a ship going down the Amazon in 2005, and this guy that I met who we retained a sort of acquaintanceship. We were friends on Facebook. He contacts me in 2013 and says, hey, um, I know you work for yourself, so you don't have to ask for time off. I know you're a trained life coach, so you've got the skill set and you're a hardcore traveler and you've been to Antarctica as a traveler. Wondering if you want to take a very short contract on a ship <laughs> in Antarctica mm -hmm. for six weeks and start up this new role on, on this vessel for this polar expedition company. And I was just like, I'm sorry, what? You're 
going to pay me to go to Antarctica again? And I get to just basically be a life coach on board. Like I, I'm, it was the passenger service manager role. So it was making sure everyone was happy dealing with complaints, like keeping the team sort of on point with the company culture, that kind of thing, which I love that kind of stuff, you know? And so, and it was a six week break from sitting in front of my laptop mm. in Peru all alone, trying to grow my business, you know? And like nobody would care. And, and all of my clients at that time, if I took six weeks off, they'd be like, you know, sayonara, see ya in a couple of months. So I very happily took that uh, opportunity. And of course, that turned into all kinds of things because I went down. I really enjoyed it. I met the man who would eventually become my husband during that time. Mm -hmm. And so because I met, yeah, <laughs> and so, and he's a Swede, which is why I, love, I now live in Sweden. So I met my, my future Swedish husband. And then that turned into me thinking, well, he works on ships all the time. Like he's beholden, he, he is not making money unless he's on a ship working as a polar expedition mm -hmm. guide. So I had to make some decisions about how I was going to structure my life so that I could be with this guy I was in love with. So I started working periodically on ships with him in the Arctic and the Antarctic, um, doing what I do, doing this like, you know, passenger service manager role, using my skill set, whatever. And then I would be home in between being a business coach and running my business online. And very importantly, during that entire time, I was blogging weekly to keep up my marketing back back home, so to speak. <laughs> um, so I was blogging weekly. I was in the middle of the night, which is the only time I could get a clear internet signal from the ship in Antarctica. I would upload my latest blog post, send it to my VA back in the US, <laughs> who would then put it onto my WordPress website, which is so funny now when I think about it, like me in the middle of the night on this ship, like, you know, down in Antarctica, sending off my blog post. Um, but it was really helpful because it helped establish my authority capital while I wasn't even present, you know, like I was off mm. the farthest end of the earth doing other stuff for love, essentially, right? So I know, speed it up, Heather, right? I'm really bad at telling the story <laughs> in the short version. But my my husband also has a twin brother. So there's these they're two big strapping Swedish six foot three guys with big red beards. They're both polar expedition leaders. And they're very well loved in the industry. And so as I got more into the industry, I realized these guys are a walking, talking sales team. Like guests who travel with them always want to travel with them again. So if we're in Antarctica, they're like, do you guys work in the Arctic? Can I take a trip with you in the Arctic? And if we're in the Arctic, they're like, do you guys work in Antarctica? I want to come on a ship with you in Antarctica. And I was like, we need a travel company, you know, because mm. there's lots of money in booking people via commission for for not necessarily on the same trips we we're on but on any trips and so i was like we, we have to capture this opportunity it's not that hard to set up a travel agency and you know we'll get some good branding done based on you guys and you know our company is now called twin tracks expeditions and so we started that so in 2015 i went from being a business coach slash consultant and part-time guide to being a business coach and consultant and polar expedition company owner because I'm the owner of the company and they're my like, you know, outward facing sales team. So the next thing I knew it was 2017 and we had an opportunity to start our own operations, meaning hiring our own vessels in the polar regions and hiring our own staff and taking people to see polar bears in the Arctic, which we did because even though we didn't have the money or anything, to be hiring vessels, we had an opportunity due to our network. And so we just scraped together the basically like friends and family. We were like, give us all your money. We'll pay you back in a year. 
And luckily they believed in us. So we did that, started operating our own vessels in the Arctic. And then in 2020, mid-pandemic, another very random opportunity came our way, which was to help manage a vessel, a polar expedition vessel that's quite large, it's 53 passengers, that had been retired, but some Scandinavian investors mm. wanted to bring mm. her back into the market and refit her and sort of give her a new lease on life. But they needed people who had expertise on the expedition side of things because they are just ship ship guys. Like they know how to make a ship run. They don't know how to make it work well in the expedition tourism world. So myself and two partners from Norway got together, created another company, ship management company. So now I'm a business consultant still. That's still my primary work. I have the Polar Expedition Company, Twin Tracks Expeditions, where we primarily help people book trips to Antarctica and the Arctic. And then the Polar Ship Management Company, which is managing a vessel, managing this polar expedition vessel, finding charters, hiring teams, you know, creating company culture, making sure we have all the provisions that we need, et cetera. And so that ship will be back in polar waters this coming summer in um, June 2022. So we're very excited about that. So three Somehow I ended up with three companies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, you talked earlier about you've got to be willing to take risk in your relationship to risk. So clearly um, you saw that you, you, first of all, recognized opportunities and thought this, this is a really good fit for what I like to do and hobbies and all, all my other business experience. And I love doing it, so it doesn't fit into that. I've got to outsource this thing. Oh, and at the same time, of course, um, the willingness to kind of risk putting a heavy investment up front in in the running your own tours, yeah, um, as yeah. you mentioned. So what, are, what have been some of the lessons in particularly the transition out of out of where you probably developed some high level of comfort in, in your coaching business to these vastly different um businesses uh, some of the lessons i suppose um i'm trying to think of there haven't been any like really hard lessons other than with our expedition company twin tracks i think i put a little bit too much faith in partners in the early days i you know we partnered with some people who we assumed would have more skin in the game um and they didn't. And so we ended up there. There was um, one scenario in our first year of operations where we lost a big chunk of money to, to deposits because the partner that we had to, to market that trip, who was sort of like the what do you call it, like the um, the special guest. Uh, it's not that they didn't try. It's that they didn't have as much skin in the game. We were the ones who financially were on the line for that trip. And so they didn't have as much skin in the game. They didn't have anything to lose. They weren't as motivated to promote. And when we had an incident where we had a mass cancellation late, late in the season, we had to cancel the entire trip. And we, Twin Tracks, lost the money. In fact, me personally lost part of my savings as a result. And so that was a bit of a hard learning. And I can see now my naivete in just sort of trusting that everyone who was excited in the beginning would kind of follow through. Um, but it was a good lesson, you know, it was a really good lesson. And now we've had a couple of other scenarios that were kind of similar, not where any money was lost, but where, you know, we kind of went into things on some degree of good faith and then learned over time that that doesn't work. And so I certainly have had the rose colored glasses 
pulled back a little bit in that sense that now I'm much more of a business lady <laughs> and I'm like, okay, if we're going to go into a partnership, it's we're getting on paper exactly what the expectations are, exactly what the deliverables are for each side. And um, if at any point, you know, these aren't being met, then this contract is null and void kind of thing. So I'm a little bit more savvy now in that respect, but I'm very thankful to say that those lessons were fast and hard. And so now it's done. And these days I feel very um, confident in my decision-making process around higher risk things. And I'm extra confident because I have people around me who are really smart business brains that I trust implicitly, like my partners in the uh, Polar Ship Management Company. They have 16 years in the business. They're Norwegian. They have sort of a different background, different mindset. And I can just go to them and say, hey, I'm, you know, thinking about this thing. What are your thoughts? Like, I'd really like to get your perspective on this. And so having a brain trust rather than just being completely on my own all the time, doing, you know, making decisions, entering into partnerships and stuff like that, that makes a huge, huge difference because we can't be expected to know everything independently all by ourselves, especially when the stakes are higher. We can't be expected to not have any emotions covering, coloring our judgment. You know, there, no matter how much you think you're objective, you're probably not, <laughs> not completely. And so, yeah, so that's, that's been a really interesting kind of learning curve for me since I've entered the polar business world. Hmm. And, and clearly the, well, there's a couple of things there, but clearly the importance of surrounding yourself with good people that you can trust and that, that can act as a, that sounding board and also the, um, have the experience to maybe make connections or, um, give you direction is, yeah. is really important yep. it's critical and it's something that's actually like i've sort of now fed back into the business consulting side of my business because i realized when that when that sort of developed in the my polar world i was like that's what's missing in my in the other side in the business consulting where i'm helping small business owners most small business owners don't have any kind of a brain trust you know they're they're flying blind. They might be in some Facebook community full of other business owners, but usually those devolve into just self-promotion. They don't actually, they're not actually in community with people who don't have an agenda and who are really kind of looking at their business in a very objective way and giving smart, seasoned advice. And that's also why people like me have work as business coaches, because that's what we get paid for. But I think it, it's, that's, that's great, yeah. but I... And I don't want to undermine my own work. I think having a business coach is really, really important. <laughs> but you should also have a business brain trust. You should have other people around that are not just your coach, mm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's sound advice. All right. Well, this has been fabulous, Heather. I think it's a good point now, though, to move on to the buzz, which is our innovation round. Now, I think we've probably covered several of these, but I'll, I'll ask them anyway. It's the same five questions I ask of every guest. and um, the idea is that you'll leave the audience with an inspirational insight that will trigger an action today on their part. Sounds good. What's the number one thing you think anyone needs to do to be more innovative? The number one thing is to stop paying attention to what anyone else is doing. I think just unfollow all your competition, stop uh, comparing yourself to anyone else, and let your own creative mind 
generate new ways of doing things because as long as you're paying attention to what everyone else is doing you'll be measuring yourself up against them and that's not innovative at all hmm. that's right and it's kind of we were talking on another episode that i recorded yesterday about looking back versus looking forward and i think that there's an element of that there too looking back and you're always kind of focused on going away from something that is unsatisfactory versus going towards an opportunity that that opens up possibility yeah, i love that <laughs> hmm. all right what's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas other than going on uh, polar expeditions <laughs> <laughs> the best thing i've done to develop new ideas is to notice where there are gaps in the market so if there's something that i really want and i'm looking around for and i can't find it i will create it and to some degree, and this is, these are stories for another day, that is how Twin Tracks Expeditions and Polar Pioneer Management were born as my second and third companies. There were gaps in the market. There were niches that weren't being properly filled. And I was like, we can do this. This is something I want to do. And I've done it in my consulting company as well, in my business coaching. So find those gaps, you know, whatever, whatever itch mm. you can't scratch, that's an opportunity. Right. Mm. Yeah. I love that. And often, I mean, many people that I've had on the show have developed something for themselves because they, they found a need that wasn't being addressed. So they developed it for themselves because they needed it. And then, of course, they did such a great job of, of doing it for themselves that other people started saying, hey, can I have that? Yeah. yeah. It's cool. <laughs> and, and so that developed into a business as yeah. well. Do you have a favorite resource you use most often? Notion. I use the software Notion. I absolutely oh, love it. Yeah. It's so, so, so helpful for me. I am not a linear thinker. I'm kind of all over the place. And Notion allows me to do all kinds of things with projects, data, to-do lists, client stuff that I want to capture. It's just a, it's a wonderful, wonderful tool. I'm an absolute fan of Notion. When that first came out and I started playing with it, I thought, this is a dream come true because <laughs> I remember back in the early days of the very, very early days of the personal computer um, for home use, and this is going back, aging myself, this is going back to the 1980s, and we were hacking database management systems if trying to see how we can hook them up to have multiple level databases connected up so that you could organize information and and this was as i say i was a scientist i'm not a computer programmer but i was sort of just trying to figure this all out and now notion came along 40 years later and 50 years later and uh, i looked at that and i thought that does everything that we were trying to hack in those days and it does it really well and easily you don't even have to worry about programming yeah it's amazing hmm. yeah we use it for pretty much all our project <clears throat> management work and my to-do list and keeping track of various things training courses everything mm -hmm. <laughs> okay now what's the best way to keep a project on track i think we've touched on this one but <laughs> Yeah, I well, just I suppose quickly, it would be the project has to be something that's really resonant with where you want to go, right? If you're doing it because it seems like the right thing to do, it's easier to fall off the wagon. But if you're doing a project mm. because it's something that 
is really resonant, is in line with your values, and you feel will bring a lot of value, that's going to keep you motivated to see it through to the end. But the second piece is don't try to do it by yourself. Either set up systems of accountability or have people around, whether it's a VA that you have you know, a deadline to, to get them a certain chunk of information so they can load it into your course management software or an uh, accountability group or whatever, just something outside of your own head that you're like, I have some, I have, I'm accountable. I have a deadline. I have a person who's expecting this. That will really, really help. Mm. Yeah, I love it. And, and that, that's a really important point. The having a project that's a fit, it comes back to what you were saying earlier about, um, outsourcing the stuff that you don't like doing. So if you're taking on board projects for whatever reason, um, outside of something that you enjoy or that is a, a fit with your values, your culture or, or your expertise even, um, then you've got to question what's your motivation for doing that and how strongly are you going to be motivated when things start to become more difficult. Yep, exactly, exactly. <laughs> hmm. All right, and the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves? It kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about unfollowing <laughs> all your competition. <laughs> you To differentiate yourself, you just need to be the youest version of you, you know? Like, be show us who you are, not who you think you should be in order to be a online personality or whatever it is, you know? Um, Talk about what makes you you. Talk about what makes your company different. I often say to clients, what are your pet peeves about the industry that you function in? You know, what are your, in my case, what are your pet peeves about business coaching? Well, I talked about them earlier. The fact that everyone sells this rosy version of what it is to be an online entrepreneur. So I do the opposite because that's not reality. And I'm totally okay with talking about things that are hard truths and that might make people run away from me screaming <laughs> that's fine because they're not the right people to work with me right, right. so be honest be the youest version of you and talk about the things that are um, important to you that you believe talk about the things that irritate you about the market that you exist in that's great and i love the be the youest version of you it's kind of dr seuss in a way <laughs> um. But it's a really important point you make that <laughs> if you're totally honest and transparent and that repels people, they're not they're not the people that would be ideally suited to work with you anyway. But on the other hand, those that say, yeah, I really resonate with that, um, they're the ones that you probably want to be working with or want to be working with you. Yeah, yeah. And those are... Those are the people that are going to be your true fans, right? We we want to call in our true fans. I think there's an uh, even if you're just running a podcast agency or whatever, you know, you don't need to be like a lifestyle personality or anything like that. You can be a web designer, you can be a copywriter, you can be a whatever, you know, digital course creator. It doesn't matter what it is that you're doing. Um ultimately what you want is these sort of thousand true fans. We don't need legions. We don't need hundreds of thousands to make a really healthy living. And if you have a thousand true fans and you continue to do good work over time, eventually you'll have 2000, eventually you'll have 5000. And, you know, this is a long game. So call in the right people and they will become your evangelists. That's, that's, that's where the gold is. Yeah, that's right. Great advice. 
All right. Well, thanks, Heather. This has been Fabulous Network, and people find out more about you, the work you do, and, of course, your polar tourism business. <laughs> yeah, so it's quite easy. You can go to my website, which is heatherthorkelson.com. Um, I'm on Instagram at Heather Thorkelson. I'm on LinkedIn at Heather Thorkelson. I'm starting to hang out on Twitter more at IncurableHT. Um, on HeatherThorkelson.com, you can find more about my co-working community for business owners called The Incurables. You can also find out about the new suite of courses I'm developing called Adulting for Entrepreneurs, <laughs> where we help people fix the cracks in their business that they you know, when they were building, they just kind of slapped everything together to try to make it work. And now they're like, oh, this isn't working as I grow bigger. So we're, we're working on courses to help people fix those, fix those issues. And um, TwinTracksExpeditions.com is my polar expedition company. Uh, if you want to book a trip to Antarctica, which a lot of people do, it's the seventh continent. Talk to me. I'm happy to help you. And or the Arctic, if you want to see polar bears. And then the other company, the ship management company, probably isn't very interesting to anybody. <laughs> but uh, you can look at polarpioneermanagement.com if you're really keen. <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, we'll post all those links in the show notes so people can click straight through and check them out. All right. Do you have some parting advice for our listeners today, Heather? Parting advice would be... Um, I, I, I really want to say... If you feel that you do not fit into the nine to five working world, there are other ways to make a really healthy living. You just need to find the answers. You just need to find the resources and you need to find the right community. So if you're on that journey of trying to work for yourself and it's difficult and it's not what you expected it to be and there are days when you're like maybe i should just go back to a job but then you cry on the bathroom floor and think i'd rather die than go back to a job then that's normal <laughs> it's normal you know i just want to normalize that and say that you don't have to go back there are ways to build healthy businesses based around the type of person the type of worker that you are and the resources are out there, the people are out there to support you. Don't give up. Incurable entrepreneurs are a thing and um, and there are communities to support you. So that, those are my parting words because I know that I certainly would have needed to hear that in my early days. That's wonderful. And and certainly one really good resource is, is your book on um, There's No Plan B. So we'll have <laughs> that in the show notes as well, the link. All right, finally, Heather, who else should I get on the podcast and why you should talk to jonathan stewart from simplicityspecialist.com he is amazing he's a systems guy he is um he's a notion nut <laughs> oh, <right>. and <laughs> he is just one of the smartest people that i know and he's just so cool i just love him yeah he's all about systems He he's about um looking at our internal systems as a human being, like how we function, and then mm. creating external systems that match our uniqueness so that we have, you know, external tools and processes, whether it's Notion, et cetera, et cetera, you know, outside of our brains that support the way that we work as individuals. And he's just a genius at it. He's so interesting and smart. And I haven't met any other systems person that, uh, that has an approach quite like him. So I highly recommend him. Mm does sound very fascinating. I mean, I love the, the idea of the internal system and the external system 
matched to our own unique internal system. So yeah, we'll get an introduction to Jonathan from you and reach out to him and start that conversation. Sounds great. Well, thanks so much for sharing your time and your insights so generously today, Heather. This has been absolutely fascinating. You've certainly got an interesting mix of things going on and um, lots of interesting stories to tell, I'm sure. And maybe we'll have to talk to you again at some stage about some of those interesting experiences on, on those travels. For sure, for sure. I'm up for it. <laughs> all right. So all the best for the future and let's stay in touch. Sounds good. Thanks so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed that insightful and really engaging conversation with Heather and took something away from her episode. I love Heather's drive and opportunism in seeing gaps in the market where she can fill a need, then building a business around that. As you're listening right now, think about one of the ideas you have on your to-do list. Maybe it's there gathering dust because you're not sure it'll work. Are you still excited by it? Does someone still need this? If yes, consider doing a science experiment. Begin with writing out your objective, then the hypothesis. What do you believe should happen, will happen? Then list the resources you'll need to run the experiment, and those resources might be tools, people, time, or money, or a combination of those. Then plan out your method of execution. Now go ahead and execute. Record the results without attributing any meaning of the outcome to you personally. It's just a science experiment. What do you conclude from the results? What's the next experiment coming out of that? Heather's episode can be found at innovabiz.co forward slash Heather Thorkelson. That is H-E-A-T-H-E-R-T-H-O-R-K-E-L-S-O-N. All lowercase, all one word, innovabiz.co forward slash Heather Thorkelson. You'll also find contact information there for getting in touch with Heather, as well as links to her website, her social media pages, her book, No Plan B, and the other resources we spoke about in our conversation. If you've listened this far into the show, then here's a challenge. If you loved this conversation, and why wouldn't you, and you'd think it'd be useful to one other person, be brave enough to share this conversation with that one other person. And my guess is, in the 500-odd other episodes that we've published up until right now, there is at least one other one there that's equally as valuable to you as this episode. So go ahead, pick your favourite number, or just take a 30-second glance through the past episodes, and between now and the next episode, listen to one more and then write me a note on LinkedIn about which episode you picked and why, and what your biggest takeaway was. Heather suggested we have a conversation with Jonathan Stewart, Simplicity Specialist, on a future InnovaBuzz podcast episode. So Jonathan, keep an eye on your inbox for an invitation from us to the InnovaBuzz podcast, courtesy of Heather Thorkelson. Thanks for listening. We'd love you to leave a review on this episode 
so that we can get to know you and why you listen. Also, it will help us make the podcast even better for you. Simply go to lovethepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz to pick your preferred platform. And you can follow the show by going to followthepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz. If you'd like a peek behind the curtain into how we put together this show, go to innovabuzz.co forward slash flywheel, where you can access a free gift my team and I made for you, a short audio program that walks you through the entire InnovaBuzz flywheel. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing and your podcast into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. Tune in again to the next episodes of the InnovaBuzz podcast, where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.